Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you'd like to support the ministries of Rancho Church as we advance the cause of Christ together, you may do so at rancho.tv giving. Enjoy. Welcome to Rancho United. We are so excited that you're here, whether you live in the Temecula Marietta Valley with us, enjoying finally some nice weather, uh, or you're across country or anywhere in the world, serving in the military, wherever you are, thank you so much for joining us. We are live streaming this morning as usual. We wanna just get that sense of connection. And so feel free to comment, feel free to let us know what's on your mind. We really would love to connect with you. And uh, we are definitely enjoying a good, solid, healthy, very real sense of connection with our church family that is now kind of growing into areas that we would never have imagined. It's, that's good. Um, and uh, we are just excited to have you here. In fact, I got an email from one person this week. He says, thank you uh, so much for everything that your staff is doing every week. Uh, we thank you for the impact on our family. Uh, we still go to church every single Sunday, he says. It just looks a little different. Our family tradition hasn't skipped a beat, even though we're staying at home and it means so much. But he goes on to say this, the online platform has even made it possible for people who would not have attended church to attend like my mom who has to stay home because of health reasons. And so as, as this online church kind of takes a life of its own, it's incredible to see how many people are able to enjoy a live worship uh, service uh, because they're not at home, but be very comfortable enjoying uh, being a family of faith, even from our, our PJs um, at, at home. So thanks so much for being a part of that. If you are new to the Rancho Family of Faith, we encourage you to text the word guest to 951-379-3795. You can text this number anytime about anything and we will get back to you. If you need help for any reason, you need prayer requests, whatever it is, you let us know. But if you're here for the first time, just text guest to that number. We'd certainly appreciate that. I also wanna thank you for your generosity. Um, Rancho has such vast humanitarian efforts locally and globally. We've talked about the thousands we feed every week and the people that we get to house, especially during this pandemic, it means so much. But we partner with 51 different agencies locally and globally. We give resources, money, uh, uh, volunteers, and we fuel these ministries. And because of your generosity, we haven't had to pull back on a single one of those partnerships and they are incredibly um, uh, grateful for that. So if you'd like to give, all you have to do is go to rancho.tv slash giving. You can make a one-time gift or set up recurring giving. And if you're a part of our online community now, you can feel free to start giving as well. Uh, if you're able, Bible says give what you're able. Uh, so don't, um, you know, do something irresponsible. Uh, give according to your ability to give. We also want to encourage you very strongly that we are a YouTube channel right now. And so you can go to youtube.com slash Rancho United, and this is where we live. Our church services, children's ministry, youth ministries, everything's right here. And we are just pouring out good quality content for every generation. So thank you very much for being a part of the family of faith. All right, at this point, I wanna introduce Miss Elaine Romero. She has been a partner of ours for many, many years, a licensed therapist for 25 years. She's on our preaching team. She has helped more people than I can possibly imagine. So even if you're at home, put your hands together for Miss Elaine Romero. So fun to walk out to that music. Well, welcome to our second week in the series, Between Two Ears, where we are discussing the beautiful brain that God created. Now today, we're gonna talk about what happens when we get stuck up here in that place of shame. Now, if you think about it, our God could have created us as robots or puppets that just 
acted or did as he pleased, or as animals that had less depth in our brains, but no. Our God chose to create us in his likeness and to give us a complex brain, a brain that can think, that can create, that can learn, that can make choices, make mistakes, and even love deeply. Think of all that God actually really risked by doing this, by giving us that kind of freedom to think for ourselves. Essentially, it is what sets us apart from animals and his other creations. So in Genesis 1:27, it says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Now, in this beautiful mind that God gave us, he also gave us emotions. And if you were with us last week, we talked about the chemistry of the brain and how we actually experience things emotionally before we experience them rationally. Now, all of the emotions in our head and in our heart uh, are God-given. And in addition, all of our emotions are good. Now, you may be thinking, wait a minute, Elaine, what are you talking about? Not all emotions are good. What about something like fear or anger or jealousy? And this is where I put my hands up in defense and say, I'm not saying that all emotions feel good or are comfortable to have, but they are God-given. Let me give you some examples. So God gives us emotions and he created them so that we would use them for a reason. We use emotions for a purpose. They give us data. They are like our messengers and sometimes they are even our bodyguards. So let's take fear for example. If fear comes over my body, it gives me that message that I need to be cautious. And we've definitely felt that in this pandemic, right? We've like been making sure that we and our families are safe. So we need that fear, although it's uncomfortable. What about anger? Anger overcomes my body and I realize, hey, someone is not treating me fairly or well or someone else. And it may mean that I need to set a boundary to protect myself or that other person. Or jealousy. When jealousy overcomes my body, I know, hey, something's going on that I feel really strongly about. I need to further examine this and look at this. So our emotions are not bad. They are human and they're needed. But what can be bad or even sinful is how we respond to or how we express these emotions. Now, one of these emotions is shame. It is very difficult to experience. However, like all other emotions, shame is not bad. And it's actually important that we have it, but how we respond to it makes a difference. Now first, let's look at a definition of shame. Shame is the painful feeling of humiliation or distress that is caused by a consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Okay. So as people, will we sometimes do wrong or foolish things? Absolutely, because we're human beings just being human. In fact, we also are sinful as humans. So that means we will all experience shame from time to time. In fact, the only human who would rightly be excused from shame was Christ himself because he was perfect 
and he was sinless. But remember, he died so that you and I don't have to be perfect. So let's take a second to think about that then. We can actually say that it's actually healthy to feel shame or guilt. Because you see, shame is gonna give me important data. It's gonna tell me, hey, what you did was wrong, or you hurt someone, or this displeases God, or this is sinful. It allows me to decide that I need to take ownership of something, that I might need to make amends, that I might need to repent, which is to a desire to stop um, or change a behavior. So shame calls us on the carpet. If you think about it, if you didn't ever experience shame, that actually would be a concern. In fact, no shame is possibly the sign of someone who doesn't have a conscience, someone who possibly even has sociopathic tendencies. So experiencing shame is actually healthy. We want to develop a conscience and we need the experience of shame to develop that. But unfortunately, we tend to struggle with shame and what to do with this shame, especially as Christians. And do you know where we struggle with it the most? It's right here, right between these two ears. Now, psychotherapists like myself, we often see this over and over in our offices. We find people, good people, that are just struggling with shame. Even in this pandemic, I was talking to my team on Friday and we were talking about how we're hearing a lot of our clients share some of the shame they're having. Shame that they maybe weren't as financially prepared as they could have been. Or shame that they just don't feel like doing anything right now because they're just so overwhelmed. Or shame that they're turning too much to food or to alcohol to cope. Or maybe they aren't exercising as much as they normally would. Or shame that they feel bored at home and they wanna complain about it, but then they think about all those medical professionals or essential workers who are going to work risking their life so they feel bad they have shame. And yet our God never meant for shame or guilt to paralyze us. Rather, our God wants us to use our shame to be our best selves. Our God can use shame to grow us and to rebuild us. In fact, he gives us many examples of this in, a, in the Bible. Just a couple are, let's take Adam and Eve. Not only were they the first humans to exist, they were the first humans to experience shame and regret when they committed the original sin. For the first time, they recognized their nakedness and they hid from God in shame. Have you ever wanted to do that, hide from God? David, he has an affair with Bathsheba, and then on top of that, he goes and has her husband killed. We see him in Psalms, verse after verse, suffering and deep regret, guilt and shame. He's just crying out to the Lord uh, in Psalms. Now, Peter, Peter was one of the disciples, and after sharing a very intimate meal, that Passover meal with, with Jesus, he later goes on to deny even knowing Christ three times. And Jesus actually told him that he was gonna do this. And he was like, no, I would never do that to you, Jesus. Imagine the shame and the guilt he must have felt after he had just said he wouldn't do that. And guess what? I've done that just like Peter. 
There have been some things in my life that I never thought I would do and it brought me great shame. And I'm gonna bet that you too have done some things to bring you shame. And the reason I know that is because just like these people in the Bible, we too are human. But do you know what we see in every one of these examples in the Bible? All of these people turn, they eventually return back to their God in shame. And do you know what he does? He restores each of them. And he actually even takes all these situations that cause them shame for his own glory. You see, if in humility we can take ownership of our sins and confess them, God can and will turn things around and make good out of a bad situation. Jesus brought us this reconciliation by his death. In Colossians 1, 21 through 23, we see, once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you as holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. You see, this sacrifice of Jesus reconciles our shame. Now, we also see this in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just, and he will forgive us of our sins and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, I actually had to memorize this verse, uh, 1 John 1, 9, fifth grade. I was at summer camp at Forest Home and I remember our camp counselor said we had to memorize this verse before we went to free time. So I was uh, definitely wanting to get that done to go to free time. And she told us that if we memorize this verse, we would hide it in our heart as a gift from God. And at the time I was like, okay, whatever. But she was so right. Because I've always remembered that verse. It always comes right to me very quickly. And it's this gift where I can remember, my God purifies, my God forgives, and my God will always restore. And do you know why he does this? It's because God says, we are enough. God says, you are enough. God's love for you will not increase or decrease based on what you have done or what you haven't done. He says, you are enough today, right now, right as you hear this message today. In fact, in Ephesians 2, 8, it says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you see what this means? This means you don't have to be some super Christian who does everything right. You don't earn God's grace by being good, and you don't lose God's grace by making mistakes. You earn it because you are enough and because he loves you, because you are his handiwork. You see, we don't try to live like Christ and do good things to earn value or to earn our salvation. We do good works. We wanna live like Christ because we're just so grateful for, the, for God's gift of grace that he gave us. So as his son, 
as his daughter, as one made in his likeness, you are his royalty, whether you believe it or not. Now, unfortunately, we live in this world that is gonna tell us we're not good enough all the time. And it gets in right here, right between these two ears. In our culture, men, you are told you need to make money and you need to be successful to have value in this world. Women, you were told you better be beautiful and you better have the perfect figure to, to uh, have value in this world. Um, we're also told that the more we achieve and the more we do, the happier we'll be. And yet in her research on happiness, Emma Zappala, the author of The Happiness Track, found it's just not true. This ideology that we carry of doing more and achieving more actually makes us burn out with stress. We become more depressed and we live in this place of shame of all the shoulds, right? Now, that doesn't mean you can't have goals or achievements in life, but what she found in her research is that it's actually the people who live in a place of gratitude, who take moments every day to take a deep breath and revel in what they're grateful for in the right here, in the right now, to just be present. These are the people that are happier. And yet in our shame for not measuring up to these ridiculous standards of the world, most of us, in fact, the studies show 90% of us suffer from time to time from something called the imposter syndrome. Now, the imposter syndrome is the idea that if people really look closely, if they look close enough at me, they will see I don't really measure up, that I'm not smart enough, I'm not attractive enough, that I'm not good enough at my job, I'm not good enough as a parent, I'm not good enough as a spouse, and in our Christian circles, that maybe I'm not spiritual enough. Even the best of the best felt it. People like Albert Einstein, people like Maya Angelou, they suffered from the imposter syndrome. But do you know what they found was the best way to combat it? It's to accept that it's okay and human to feel like you don't measure up sometimes. In fact, Brene Brown, who is a social scientist and an author, found in her studies on shame and vulnerability, that there seemed to be this common thread among people who don't suffer from shame. It's these people that have a very high self-worth and she wanted to know in her studies, what is it? Why do these people feel so good about themselves? Are they smarter? Are they richer? Are they more attractive? No, it was none of these. What she found in her studies is that the ones that felt the highest sense of self-worth were the people that all had the courage to be imperfect. They were people who fully embraced their vulnerabilities, meaning they knew they had strengths, but they accepted that they had weaknesses too. And she says, they let go of who they thought they should be in order to just be who they really were. They accepted their weakness without a sense of shame. So we can all have a better sense of self-worth if we just accept it's okay. If we have areas that we struggle with, if we have grace on ourselves for not being perfect or making mistakes, I don't know about you, but that makes me relax. 
And do you know what she also found? That it is this vulnerability that's actually the breeding ground for connection with others. That when we're real, when we're authentic, when we're honest, even about the things we feel shameful about with others, we actually connect better with people. And isn't that what shame really comes down to? We just want to be accepted by others, even in the areas where we aren't so pretty because our God hardwired us that way to want connections, to want to be seen, to want to be loved by others, even in our areas of shortcomings. Now, can we do that as a church family? Can we be vulnerable enough to admit to each other at this church right here at Rancho that as members of the body of the Christ, we can all feel shame sometimes. Let's not be a place where we shame each other. In fact, right now we are living in a world of a lot of shame, right? There are people shaming each other all across the internet. Some are shaming that we should be caring and doing more to protect this nation from this virus. Others are shaming we shouldn't be shut down or keep people from working. So as a result, we may feel shame if we're worried too much or we may be feeling shame if we're uh, not worried enough. It is exhausting. Now, more than ever, we need to remember the findings of Zapala who found that it's important for our mental health to be in the present, to practice gratitude, even in our current situation, even in this pandemic. Now, I know that every family has a different situation and some of you are struggling much more than others. But I want to challenge each family in our church family to identify what can you be grateful for right now? Maybe that you have more time with your family or maybe that you're discovering new ways to use technology or maybe that you can slow down in some ways or maybe you're just grateful that you're safe right now or maybe you have a family member who has survived this virus. Uh, my brother-in-law in, um, in New York tested positive for COVID and he's doing much better every day and we are praising God for that. Suddenly, that's all that matters. Paul even encourages us to do this when he says in Philippians, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to want to, to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. That's Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Do not let shame paralyze you. We don't have to fall prey to the cultural messages that we aren't enough and that we have to do more or be more. We don't have to fall into this trap of shaming each other. Let's rise up as Rancho together, knowing we are God's handiwork and that means we are enough, even right here.
between these two ears. All right, well, next, what we're gonna do is we have a treat. We have our worship team who's gonna play a song to you, and I want you to listen carefully. It's from Lauren Daigle. It's one of the number one songs in the U.S. It focuses on, on what God says about drowning out voices of shame that can fill our heads, and then after that, Scott will come up and we'll have a closing discussion on how we can change from a culture of shame, of shame to a culture of dignity.
Thank you very much, Katie. That was absolutely awesome. And uh, that song has had a powerful impact on a lot of people. That's why it was the number one song in the U.S. for a very, very long time. Yeah, absolutely. And Elaine, that fits right into your message about all these voices that are in exactly. our head. Exactly. Yeah, it's perfect. And uh, we got a lot of social media comments about your message. In fact, uh, the Boo Ram family says you're a rock star. They love you. Aww. <laughs> so many good comments <laughs> coming in. So we certainly appreciate that. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, so it's my turn to ask you a few questions, sure. Scott. I kind of feel like I'm having that Barbara Walters moment. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if I just totally changed it all around uh, yeah, on you? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so um, one thing that you have done a lot that I appreciate in sermons or different retreats and things like that is you've really talked about how, you know, the church can be driven by a culture of shame. So what do you mean by that, driven by a culture of shame? Well, a lot of research has been done on, on religion, and the fascinating thing is that religion has been the foundation of every society in every time. And so those who have studied it, they have come to the conclusion that a lot of culture is shaped by the religion that is shaped within that culture. And there's uh, been studies that indicate there's three primary reasons that religion really is so foundational in a culture. Uh, one of them is social co cohesion. There's nothing quite like having a common faith uh, or a common origin story or a common um, understanding of our, of our purpose in life. There's nothing like religion to bind a uh, people together. 100%. Mm -hmm. Yep. The other reason for religion is to create social norms. And this is important for people because there's something in the human condition that wants our kids to believe what we believe. They want our mm -hmm. kids to do what we do. They want our kids to think the way we think. So that idea of, of, of not just cohesion, but norms that are passed on generation by generation. And again, there's nothing like religion to do that. So identity. Identity, absolute identity that gets passed on generation by generation. And so the kind of the faith of the father is kind of an idea. It gives us the confidence as parents and grandparents that, okay, well, my kids have the same faith I do. Therefore, my whole story, the whole lineage gets passed down. And the third reason why religion tends to be important in societies is that it creates social control. And this has the dark side as well. Mm because we fear that our kids or our society is gonna go off the rails. It's not gonna continue the social norms. And we see this even in our own country. We were you know, founded more or less based on some Christian principles, Judeo-Christian ethics. And so you know, people wanna make sure we preserve that. And so religious language is often used to bring societal control. Do not go outside of these norms that we've enjoyed or else. Mm -hmm. And this is where shame can come in. So if somebody goes outside of those religious norms, they are shamed. If somebody goes outside those religious norms, then we use fear to say, no, you've got to get back on track or you will be judged by God. You will be punished by God. Uh, I remember sitting in youth group by well-intended youth pastors who, you know, no, I know loved me and they loved God. But uh, this is back in the day of the uh, 90s and 2000s. I was in youth group in the 80s, was a youth pastor in the 90s and 2000s. And that whole series, uh, series of, of decades was about really largely religious shaming and religious threats because there was a sense that we've got to get this next generation kind of in line with cultural and societal norms and using religion to do that. So I remember sitting in youth group and uh, the talk was on sexual purity and it was a whole purity ring sort of culture. And these stories were told about your life will be ruined if you don't follow the religious guidelines of sexuality. Um, you know, God may punish you and maybe you'll even, you know, not be saved. <laughs> Threats of even eternal torment. Mm. And that creates 
spiritual abuse, even in the youngest ages. Yeah, you know, I, re- I also in the 80s remember attending some sexual purity um, thing as a, I don't, I don't know, junior high, like 14 or something like that. And um, the message of, of sexual purity was beautiful and wonderful, but they showed us some video about like a woman on her wedding night and all the ghosts of her boyfriend past were there and she felt all this shame. And, and basically it was this message that you will ruin your wedding night. And I look back now as a therapist and a mother and I think, oh, how oppressive to right. even kind of rob them of just almost being traumatized that they were gonna ruin something that was so beautiful. Yeah, and, that, and there is a beauty about our sexuality and there's a, a beauty about um, engaging sexually in a way that's healthy and, mm-hmm. and God honoring and honoring other people. And to go outside of that, there are some consequences to that, but to use the religious tool of shaming people, like that horrific video, <laughs> and, uh, and the fear of punishment is so terrible, especially with, with children. Right, right. And so I'm sure it doesn't feel very Christ-like, really. Right. So what would even Jesus have to say about that? Sure. Well, Jesus, we have to remember, was religiously a Jew. He was a Jew by uh, nationality, and he was Jewish by religion. So he was Jewish by religion. And, and when he started his ministry in, in, at about 30 years old, you could tell by reading the gospel that he was immediately offended by the religious culture of shame and the religious culture of, of fear based on punishment. And so what he did was he confronted the shamers and he ministered to those who were shamed. Mm. So to the shamers, he said this, these are the religious shamers. He says, you crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease them. And so uh, th- this culture of religious oppression would, would say, you need to do more, you need to be better. The, just as you talked about that, that oppression and that fear, you called it exhausting, of always trying to measure up to expectations. And when somebody uses the name of God to say, the, now here are even more expectations, it can be crushing. And that was the religious culture of the time. But then Jesus goes to those who were being shamed. And those who were shamed at the time were the sick, the poor, the sinner, the unclean, people of other races and nationalities. And so he goes right to those who are being shamed and he frees them. He says to them, come to me, all of you who are weary and carrying a heavy burden, and I will give you rest. And that burden that he's talking about is the religious burden of shame. He says, I'm gonna lift that burden from you so that you're not identified by your failures. You're gonna be identified by the grace of God, which you beautifully laid out mm-hmm. in, in, your, in your message. Um, and, and, and with children, Jesus had a specific place in his heart because he knows that children are so impressionable and, uh, and that religious impressioning that takes place when we're children and youth, that carries for a lifetime. And so children were shamed during the time of Jesus. And there was one instance in Matthew chapter 19, children are flocking to Jesus because he's so welcoming, welcoming mm. and his arms are wide open. And the religious people are saying, no, children, you know, shaming them just for being kids. You're not worthy to be with, with Jesus, this great rabbi. And Jesus confronts the shamers and says, let them come. Don't stop them from coming. He plays with them and says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to these children. Mm. And so I think it's so critically important for us as, as a church to realize what we say to our kids and our youth has so much impact. Mm. And I have, and I'm sure you have as well in your practice, seen so many adults, we're talking about professional respected adults who, are, who have the thinking of children because of the religious imprints that have said, you're not good enough, you're not measuring up. I'll give you one quick example. Um, I obviously won't mention names ever, but there's a, a family in particular that is obsessed with their children's sexual purity, obsessed. 
it's almost as daily pressure. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Kind of robbing them potentially of the joy of, of sexuality. Don't, 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 don't. And if you do, these things will happen. Well, I talked to this husband and, and I said, so I am assuming, and I was tongue in cheek because I knew the answer before I, <laughs> I asked it. So certainly you were sexually pure up until your wedding day, right? Well, what do you think the answer was? I bet not. Of course not. Why? They feel, felt the shame before God for their, their failures, and they would do anything to make sure their kids didn't feel that same shame. So they're oppressed and laying oppression onto their kids. Right, and that's the whole concept of why God sent his son as a human. Right. So that we relate, he comes down to our level and that's mm -hmm. what we're called to do. Yep. Okay, so <clears throat> one of the things that I see as a Christian therapist is this concept of shame in my clients in that distortion you were kind of talking about. They will often say, I think this difficult thing I'm going through, this bad thing that's happening to me is because God's punishing me. Now, and that's, that's tough for me to hear um, because yes, our God convicts us and yes, our God prunes us and grows us, but what's that difference? What's the difference between him convicting and pruning us versus him punishing us? That's a great question. And it's kind of the key question when it comes to the idea of, of grace. Many people would say, hey, you're preaching all this grace, therefore you're saying people can do anything they want to. Well, that's not very gracious to allow people to do anything they want to and ruin their lives and ruin the lives of others. Right. So God is so gracious that not only does he forgive us freely of everything we've ever done and everything we ever will do, it's already forgiven. Not only is he that gracious, but he's gracious enough to say, you know what, I want you to live a good life. I want you to live a happier life. I want you to live a life of more love and kindness and selflessness, right? So God doesn't want us to mess up our lives. That's not very loving. That's not very gracious. And so some people, the religious mind, would say that we need shame and fear of punishment in order to keep us living a good life. Hmm. Bible's very clear, Old Testament, New Testament, that if fear is motivating us to live a good life, it's not really a good life because it's not coming from a heart. It's coming hmm. from this outside guardrail of shame and threats. So Jesus wants to free us to, yes, live a good life that's honoring to him and honoring others, but from a pure heart, a heart mm. that, is, that is relishing in the love of God and not just doing, quote, good things because we don't want to be punished. So the difference between punishment and conviction to me is pretty simple. Punishment is about pain for pain. And this happens a lot with, uh, with parenting, that um, uh, a, a child might disobey a parent and a parent may feel, gosh, I'm offended or devalued or disrespected. I feel hurt because of your disobedience. So I'm gonna now punish you so you feel the same hurt that you caused me. Mm -hmm. Punishment is pain for pain. And so the way religious environments, Christianity included, often operate is that we offend God by our sin. So therefore God's going to make us feel what he feels. He's gonna punish us, pain for pain. We offend God, God says, well, here's your punishment. And, and that is just not the heart of God. What a, what a healthier parent would do is say, hey, listen, I have a vision for my kid. I'd like my child to, to be a good person, to be a kind person, to not be selfish, um, to um, you know, do the right things for the right reasons. And so if a, if a child does something rebellious, makes a mistake, instead of the parenting say, hey, pain for pain punishment, let's walk through this. There's gonna be natural consequences when you do something wrong. Here are the consequences. Discipline could even be a part you of it. You want them to grow from you it. You want them to grow. You don't want them to keep hurting themselves or mm -hmm. others. And, and so out of love, you coach and you talk through it. You might even pray through it, thanking God for forgiveness, but realizing that there's a good vision ahead mm. for how to live a better life. It's not based on punishment. It's based on a good, healthy conviction towards a goal that is really to our benefit, mm. that we get to live a better life 
and we get to live a better life for the betterment of others. And God wants to walk us on that journey that does not involve pain for pain punishment. Right. So that conviction is to grow us. Absolutely. Not to oppress or punish us. Yes. And it's really okay. about identity as well. So, you know, to, some people f- live all of life feeling they're not measuring up. Right. And that's a culture of shame that, as you said, is paralyzing. We're told that over and over. 100%. Yeah. So what kind of change will need to happen in the church to really be able to create this culture of dignity? Yep. This is my favorite subject. If people have been a part of Rancho at all, they know that I, I kind of feel it's my life mission to free definitely this church, but uh, you know, maybe even broader than that, to free followers of Jesus from being identified by their failures. Mm. And this happens from the youngest of, of ages in church culture is we wanna make sure people know they're sinners, sinners, sinners. You're a sinner, you're fallen. We have all these words in, in you know, reformed theology, which is part of our heritage. It's you're depraved. I mean, that's, we tag that on people so early in life. We want them to know right out of the gate, you're shameful. You fall short. You fall short. You're not good enough. Here you are down here. God's here and here you are down there. And so instead of, raising our kids the way you started off this beautiful sermon, that we are made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. As you just said, that Jesus came in the form of human, which means it's very natural being made in the image of God for God himself to appear in human flesh. That raises our dignity. So instead of saying, you're always a failure, you're always a sinner, you always fall short, to realize that very next truth is right there that says, yes, but God has forgiven you. Mm-hmm. And you're a, a, a beautiful daughter of God, perfect in his eyes and dearly loved. You're, a, you're an amazing son of God, perfect in his eyes. He's forgiven you by grace. And now he's walking with you in life towards, towards the likeness of Christ. That's why I love this Lauren Daigle song. I mean, it's spot on. Listen to what she says. She's talking about wrestling from shame to dignity. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. And that's what the church does all the time. You're here, you're here, you're here. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up And I am more than just the sum of my highs and lows. And so it's not about whether I'm good or bad or successful or not. That's not the definition of our relationship with God. Remind me once again, just who I am because I need to know. And then the song goes on to say, I am loved and accepted and forgiven and I belong. These are the truths that the church has got to embrace and teach. Um, and, And to really put in the front burner, not that you're just a shameful sinner that God kind of barely saves through Jesus and you're lucky to be, no, he, he looks at us with dignity. You're a human being made in my image. Mm. You're a brother or sister of Jesus Christ himself. In my eyes, you are perfect and I've proven that by the cross of Jesus Christ. Know how loved you are, know that you belong, know that there's nothing, as you said earlier, that could cause me to make you love you any more or any less. Mm-hmm. This is not a transaction about your works. Embrace my love for you. Embrace that I, I, I love you and accept you as you are. Now let's walk this journey of life together to become more and more like Jesus. Right, so you're enough and I have plans for you, not I'll have plans for you if you're enough. I, what, I love that, right? that's perfect. Yep, yeah. I love that. I wanna close our time in prayer and, uh, and just a prayer that embraces our identity in Christ, um, that we are enough um, and that in Jesus Christ, we're covered in the righteousness of Christ and the identity of being in Christ, meaning we're a son of God and child of God. That is who we are. And we can replace that shame with dignity. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these biblical truths that we've been able to celebrate and share, that you're a heavenly father always for us and never against us. That according to 1 John 4, 18, that perfect love casts out all fear. And and if there is this fear of you, 1 John 4, 18 says, we don't understand how perfect your love is for us. 
So God, would you replace, especially all these religious lies that have been told to us time and time again, even when we were little children, told how shameful we are and how sinful we are and how far from you we are. Uh, God, these things just just build a, a, an abusive kind of a relationship with you where we think you're just hovering and brooding and waiting for us to make a mistake or that your highest value is how we behave. God, our highest value is who we are in your eyes. We are sons, we are daughters of the King of Kings. Uh, as Lane said earlier, we are royalty in your eyes. We are perfect in your eyes because of the forgiveness in Jesus Christ. We accept how loved we are by you. And God, we know how we have a journey to go. We make mistakes and there are consequences to those mistakes. We're not yet like Christ, but that's the journey we're on. And you will walk with us in love and grace and mercy and tenderness. And yes, with conviction to have us become more and more like Christ. And so we walk that journey in a culture of dignity with our shoulders back and our chin held high, uh, that we are not the, these shameful, despicable, depraved uh, people who are falling so far short. God, you lift us up with the dignity of Jesus Christ himself. We belong to you. And as a result, we are free to enjoy being loved and forgiven by you and enjoy a walk with you now and forever. In Christ's name we pray, amen.